All right, all right, all right. <clears throat> Let's get fired up here. In the early days of the internet, radical libertarians were scattered, lonely, and faceless. Without direction, they resigned to scour the web, sifting through content providers in a wasteland plagued by YouTube demonetization, Facebook jail, and covert internet censorship. But then, in 2017, the Libertarian Union was formed. Finally, the average Joe Libertarian could find a thriving community of independent podcasters and content providers, all in one convenient location. At Libertarian Union, we'll always have the latest news, interviews, discussions, and even movie reviews. With hundreds of episodes and more added all the time, you'll always find something fresh at libertarianunion.com. Maximum freedom. Read. Stay on target. Maximum freedom. Stay on target. Maximum freedom. Read Rothbard. <laughs> Hello and welcome to the next episode of the Actual Anarchy Podcast, a podcast where we talk about movies from a Rothbardian and anarcho-capitalist perspective. My name is Daniel and my co-host is Robert and tonight we're going to go back to the future-ish, not for Back to the Future, but for Blade Runner 2049, the new one that came out uh, that is a sequel to the 1982 Blade Runner film. This will be episode 65 of the podcast. It can be found at actualanarchy.com slash 65. Uh, but before we get into the movie, let's talk about Robert. How you doing? We're talking about you to you. Uh, yeah, I said the wrong thing, but how you doing, man? I can't believe we've done 65 of these things. This is what a long, strange trip. Um, here we are talking about Blade Runner. Um, sequel to one of your favorite-ish type of movies. Um, I'm doing great, man. I'm all fired up. I finished watching Making a Murder, so I'm all angry about that. And uh, But I'm excited to do the show. All right. Yeah, me too. I, I am also angry about things. Um, not Making a Murder, but all the recent uh, gun control stuff, which is um, clueless leftists who are, on the one hand, saying that you are being paranoid for thinking that you need to have firearms to protect yourself from a tyrannical government, but just a few weeks ago they were reading Tide Pods saying resist uh, and saying that Trump was literally Hitler. And so I got to ask, well, if you want to confiscate guns, then what do you plan to resist with? It doesn't make a whole lot of sense. But anyway, that's what I'm upset about. Yeah, I, I don't understand the uh, the thinking that you would say, well, we need to you know consolidate all these guns in the hands of a few government type people. But at the same time, Trump is literally Hitler and is taking over everything and is a fascist, blah, 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 whatever. So you want to have him have all the guns and all his lackeys and whatnot? Right, and they just voted him um, all those new spying powers, right? Uh, which is another thing like, well, if he's literally Hitler, why would you give him even more power? And to your point, why consolidate all the guns into the hands of government when just a few weeks ago they were all saying, oh, the cops are shooting people, Black Lives Matter, you know, they're out of control, 
Um, and if you look through history, you know, 262 million murdered in the 20th century alone uh, by their own governments and what is called democide, and we'll have a link to that down in the show notes page. Uh, but in addition, there's 123 million killed in war. So in total, that's uh, almost 400 million people killed by government in uh, the last century. So I think that's a, yeah. that's a fair bit more to be concerned about than um, the, yes, terrible and tragic instances where a situation like what happened in the Parkland uh, School in Florida uh, happened. But there were multiple layers of failure on the part of government, uh, like a whole like perfect storm of events that were um, all supposed to prevent that type of thing from happening. And they, of course, failed. And so now they want to add, you know, another domino um, to that arsenal of dominoes that all failed and think that that will be the one thing that will solve uh, for preventing such things in the future. Just one more law will do it and then we'll all be safe. Yeah, I've heard calls that people say that, you know, the NRA is like a terrorist organization. Well, as far as I understand it, no NRA member has ever gone on one of these mass shooting sprees. So, and I hate to play the guilt by association game, but most of these people that are shooting these few places up seem to be leftists. And I know that that's been thrown around and it doesn't really mean anything if you're a leftist. I'm not saying that you're a potential mass murderer or anything like that. But to say that the NRA is a terrorist organization or anybody that advocates for self-defense or to the, the right to own a thing is some sort of a terrorist or just the worst person ever or evil evil incarnate, I've seen that word slander thrown around, is uh, completely ridiculous. Um, right after one of these horrific shootings is never the time to decide on what, you know, the best policy of anything is. And just because you've survived one of these mass massacres doesn't make you an expert on policy either. So I don't understand why people are paying these kids any attention other than the idea that, you know, if it bleeds, it leads, and, you know, it's a whole bunch of emotional vampirism going on when you watch, like, the evening news and this kind of stuff is on there. Yeah, indeed, and I didn't mean to hijack this entire episode into this rant, but, you know, you mentioned things you were fired up about, so I just had to throw that in there. I have probably hours of content to... Um continue on with if, if we were to do a show such as that. But perhaps on the Libertarian Union um, talk show that we're going to be doing soon, we can get into that a little bit more with our fellow Libertarian Union members. And you can find that and much more at libertarianunion.com. But in the meantime, Robert, why don't we get into our last nighters portion of the show where we dive strictly into the movie? Are you good with that? I am. All right, then as we shall. You're not you're not, uh, you're not picking up this horrific buzzing, right? I do hear right, a little right. bit of horrific buzzing, but hopefully, <laughs> hopefully that'll go away. <laughs> run a run a well, really pro operation here, everyone. Well, this buzzing is a broken fan in my computer, and I really don't have a choice. Either I can have my notes, or I can have the buzzing. Oh, the notes I come didn't with the realize I didn't realize I had a choice here. <laughs> I thought well, that you this, have to... this was because of our the technology connecting us. I didn't realize it was your computer. This is the latest technical snafu in our long history of technical snafus that prevents us from putting out a professional polished program. But yeah, uh, my computer started whining like it sounds like it's dying. It's like a fan that needs to be replaced. But in order to have that going, I need to have, you know, I need to have that going in order to be able to read my notes. So we'll just hope it goes away here soon. All right. Well, thank you for the uh, brief interlude into the inner workings of our show and how great the production quality and value is. So... <laughs> Uh, here we go, initiating the Normie sequence.
Hello and welcome to The Last Nighters. My name is Daniel and Robert is with me. And tonight we're going to do episode eight and it is going to be great. We're going to talk about Blade Runner 2049. Uh, how you doing, Robert? I'm going to get the Google description pulled up here. Fantastic. This is a long vaunted remake of a sci-fi classic that didn't do very well at the box office. And uh, it's not too much of a mystery why. I mean, the production values are really super high, but watching it does seem like stepping into the past when sci-fi movies were long and ponderous and slow and really get you into the atmosphere. I mean, that's one thing this movie does really well is, is um, world building and set design and all that sort of thing. But it is fairly mercurial in its pacing. Uh, well put, well put. And we'll get into the uh, Google description here. You can find show notes more at and more at lastnighters.com slash eight, and that is the number eight. So here we go. Blade Runner 2049 came out last year. Fantasy mystery movie, two hours and 44 minutes, 8.2 on the IMDb, 87% Rotten Tomatoes, and 81% Metacritic. Uh, 82% of Google users like it. So well-reviewed, and uh, this, this will actually become a talking point later. Um, but here is the description. Officer K, played by Ryan Gosling, a new Blade Runner for the Los Angeles Police Department, unearths a long-buried secret that has the potential to plunge what's left of society into chaos. His discovery leads him on a quest to find Rick Deckard, played by Harrison Ford, a former Blade Runner who's been missing for 30 years. Came out in October of 2017, and his uh, the director is Denis Villeneuve. I forget uh, how he says his name, but it's like Montreal, Quebec speak. Uh, box office of $259 million, which is probably roughly what the budget was, I would imagine, with all the sets. And, and they actually used um, a lot of like real sets and real practical effects um, and real locations for that. Well, you know, as real as they can be. Right. Um, so let's get into this a little bit. Uh, what is your take on the Google description? I know it doesn't say a whole lot. doesn't give away much, but uh, what do you think? Yeah, the, the Google description is fine. Um, interesting that they said it was a new recruit, sort of a guy. I didn't get that feel. I got the feel that more he's like a, he's more of a veteran guy. He didn't seem like he didn't know what he was doing. He always seemed like he was well-established. You know, he says lines like, oh, I don't want to eat until I've, done the hard part of the job for the day and stuff like that. So he, he knows what he's doing. That's a weird, weird line. But other than that, it's fine. Yeah, it certainly doesn't say much about the movie. Um, it just kind of sets it up as a uh, an updated like follow-up to the original. And I think that's really all it needs to say. I think that there was a lot of build-up to this because it's a property that is well-followed and respected, like people look back fondly upon the original and the various versions that have come out, and, and you know everyone has their um, their favorite and their least favorite, and that's always something that drives interest in something when there's something to hate, uh, looking at you, Star Wars universe. Um, so I think they were trying to go on the um, making a movie that was speaking to the fans, the fan base of the original, and they were expecting that the turnout would be better. And I mean, they really went all out as far as the craft in this film, just like you were saying at the very open of this. Like, they they went above and beyond to try to make a very uh, true-to-form uh, style of the sci-fi film noir that the original uh, did so well back in 1982. Indeed, absolutely. Um, now, allow me to let me talk about just how weird this movie is. This movie, I'm not going to comment on the original Blade Runner because, like you said, there are like 50 versions and... Who knows what the actual story is in that movie. But in this movie, our protagonist is a slave hunter. It's like 
you were watching the movie 12 Years a Slave, and you're like, oh, yeah, it's a powerful movie. And you're going, hmm, but I wonder what the story would have been like from the position of the whip-holding dog-leashed slave master who's chasing after the slaves, the escaped slaves, and then hunting them down and murdering them. I'm sure that's a that's a real whip-snacking, cracking story. Um, and then you turn that into your protagonist, and then you he never really makes a mistake. So all the audience is left to identify with him as is the Pinocchio version of the story, or the Pinocchio influence, where he wants to be a real boy and be a real human, just like his his uh, hologram girlfriend wants to be a real girl for him. Um, so it's it's a weird tale uh, trying to identify with this slave hunter as a protagonist who hunts down and murders escaped runaway slaves. <laughs> this is your protagonist. But it so, kind of works. It kind of works. He also is a slave himself, right? I He's just programmed to not, obey. Yes, he's programmed to obey, but that's, I mean, that leads to a deeper question. I mean, are we talking about people with their own will, or are we talking about robots that are programmed to obey? I mean, it says in the opening crawl that um, replicants are by an engineer humans, their enhanced strength, because they can repair themselves, made them ideal slave labor. Then there was a series of violent rebellions, so people that weren't programmed to obey. And then they created a new line, and so he's one of these new lines. But but he, I assume, I mean, he voluntarily works for this police force, right? He has a job. He's a cop. That's his profession. He could quit, couldn't he? I don't know, man. That's questionable. I don't know if he could quit because he is one of the new breed. And he even says to his lieutenant that uh, when she questions him and says, are you disobeying a direct order or are you disobeying me? And he said, I didn't know that was an option, madam. Mm-hmm. And then yeah. also they do the baseline test which is very similar to the style of test they were doing in Blade Runner, the original, to determine whether somebody was one of these replicants or not. And speaking of, of the opening um, crawl, you know, the info at the beginning, smallest yep. type font ever. I mean, <laughs> man, it was so hard to read that. We are trying to watch this on an iPad uh, the other night, and I had to pause it and, like, put that thing, like, close up to my 40-year-old eyes and, you know, just try to read it. Okay, old man. Uh, just embarrassing. You know, I, I guess that's one of the benefits if you go and see a movie on the uh, big screen, right? The, the tiny little crawl is actually legible. But yeah, uh, I, I digress. Um, I do think that uh, he, when he kills Sapper, uh, Sapper's questioning him like, oh, what's it like being the, um, you know, hunting your own kind uh, and, and killing your own kind, you know, working for the, being a skin job, working for the, the humans, doing their dirty work. And so... I, when you talk about this slave context, I think that he also was one. And so it's similar to um, uh, if it were a slave, slave master. Yeah, uh, I see him as maybe like a, like an African-American slave hunter, because those existed, who would round up escaped slaves. So maybe a former slave that is now a slave hunter. But yeah, I think the movie was fairly ambiguous on exactly whether or not he was, you know, coerced, forced whatever, unable to do anything but obey to his quote-unquote superior whatevers. Well, they do but, have the baseline test, because if he does display emotion, then that means that he is no longer going to obey them. And uh, when he does fail that test, his lieutenant gives him an escape and says, you've got 48 hours before they hunt you down and kill you. So that doesn't right, sound so, very voluntary okay. to me. <laughs> sure, but is this in the context of his employment? Or is his employment, he's like forced to work? I mean, none of this is really that clear. 
So, I mean, is it like joining the military, where once you join, you can't leave? Or was he placed in this position and forced to do it? Yeah, you're right. There's not a whole lot of uh, backstory on that portion of it, though it does seem like there's a scene where they're um, talking about an order like uh, to purchase replicants. And yep. so it sounds like if you have a job and you want to hire replicants to do it, then you place an order with this uh, Wallace company and you get the replicants. So I could surmise that perhaps that's how he came into this job. So it really was like a slave auction, if you will, in that respect. And so he didn't really have a choice in taking on this job or not. And then once he failed his baseline test, they were going to terminate him. Okay, so he was bought by the cops and then employed by them. So he's also given a job because he has an apartment and a girlfriend, and he buys things with currency. Right, and they tell him he, he can pick up his bonus, so he is being paid. Right, and he has a certain amount of autonomy and sort of things like that. Anyway, it's all kind of murky. I mean, I think you're, I think you're making good inferences here, but none of that was directly spelled out. Right. Um, let's talk about, first of all, I want to say, yes, the direction, otherwise, otherwise slow, was, was quite beautiful. I mean, the, the, just the scenery, the cinematography, the acting was all really good. I liked the goose, the goose guy. I really liked his uh, hologram girl. Um, even Leto as this weird, blind, crazy dude was, you know, decent. Ford was good. Uh, what did you think of the acting in general? I thought it was pretty good. Um, I think that Gosling is one of those guys that kind of has this vacant look in his eyes kind of all the time. <laughs> <laughs> and so it's hard to read too much about what's going on with him. I mean, I, I only really know him from The Notebook, oddly enough, and that's like one of those old older movies at this point, like a decade old. Uh-huh. Um, is he a bit of a heartthrob type? Uh, he was in that La La Land movie, so I think yeah, I think he's a bit of a heartthrob type, but I don't I don't really know. I don't read the tabloids. Yeah, so I, I don't know. I didn't see La La Land either. Um, I was a little bit sad to not see Harrison Ford, Han Solo, until like the third act. Mm-hmm. Um, so it did take a while to get to him because I had read some of the reviews that said, oh, you know, Harrison Ford delivers a powerful performance. You know, he's not just window dressing. You know, <laughs> right. I mean, yeah, yeah. I thought he did he did well with what he had, I thought. But he's always solid in most everything he does. But yeah, yeah he didn't he wasn't really wasn't really did a lot of screen time. Yeah, that's true. Now I, I do want to um, take us back to the beginning of the movie because there was a moment that really bothered me, and that is when he goes into the opening scene where he um goes to the the worm farm and he enters the house. No knock, no warrant, no nothing. I mean, you know, sure. twenty twenty forty nine, maybe that's where we get to. Sure. Um, but uh, I, I mean, if we're not there already, but he, he's in there waiting for for um, Sapper and yep. he, he's like, are you a cop? Like, that's his like, you know, question five. <laughs> right. Not, hey, what the fuck are you doing in my house? <laughs> oh, yeah. The first one is like, oh, I'm sorry, I drug, drug some dirt in here or whatever. Right. Yeah. I seem like a weird thing to say, but OK. Yeah, I don't mind dirt. I do but, mind people coming in here to try and kidnap and kill me, though. I mean, if that's anything, if that's even on your radar, a list of offenses. Right, yeah. Now, uh, right after that, after he kills him, um, and then they discover that there's the bones under that dead tree that's being um, held up by some, some guidelines, guide wires. Uh, yeah. he, he had found, like, a, um, a buttercup, little, like, yellow flower at the base of the tree. Uh-huh. Do you know if that is supposed to be significant in any way? Yeah, not that I know of. It, it flew right past me. I mean, he he made a, a point to, you know, pick it up or look at it and whatever, but I didn't know. Okay, because I don't recall it from the original Blade Runner. And from what I could tell, like, 
pretty much all plant and animal life was dead um, in this environment because this is post like a uh, EMP style nuclear um, explosion over the Los Angeles area. That yeah, they call it the blackout, right? Yeah, yeah, where it knocked out all all records, all electronics for ten days, something like that, and everything was like wiped as Plus a result. It irradiated all of all of Las Vegas. Yeah, I wonder if the Las Vegas thing. It must have been a different um, a different nuclear issue because there was a lot more destruction in Las Vegas but if the bomb blew up over LA then I don't think that it would have affected Las Vegas in that way I mean they're not super far away I guess in that in that scale of things but I wonder if that was more related to the replicant um, battles like the war zones that were happening mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and I don't, yeah, I'm I don't sure know. you didn't see this but there were some um, mini shorts or features related to this that, that were packaged with the uh, with with the DVD or whatever um, that okay. demonstrate what happened in the intervening time between 2019 and 2049 in that 30 year period. Mm. So like when the blackout happened and um, when there were wars happening, like troops on the ground fighting each other, and it was discovered that that uh, the troops on both sides were just replicants fighting each other mm. when both sides thought they were fighting humans. Like both replicant sides thought they were fighting humans. Fun. Yeah. Okay. Anyway, I, I'm I'm taking this a little off off track here, but uh, it does bring up the crux of my big complaint with this movie. All right, let's hear it. My big complaint with this movie is the the lack of proper building up of the stakes, and this is something that you talk about often when we're uh, doing doing our analysis. Yeah. Um, the mention from the lieutenant is there's a wall and there are two sides and if people don't believe there's a wall then you bought yourself a war or a slaughter and i know that's meant to give you the stakes and and what she's talking about is a replicant uh was able to give birth which would be a um sort of a a a change in the perception of replicants because they were thought of as being built for purposes and that rebelling ones could be put down and it wasn't murder because they didn't have a soul and all this stuff. But if they could be born, then they would have a bit more of a natural right, if you will. And especially if it became known that they could be born, then they would have uh, more autonomy or agency just inherently or or maybe in belief uh, of their own belief, you know? As if if a test tube baby has no natural rights, but a, a birth baby does is essentially the thinking uh more in a symbolic sense i think yeah like the replicants weren't able to reproduce on their own or, or so they thought until this miracle and once it became known that this miracle is even possible then it would change the dynamics or the the perception of the relationship between the replicants and humans yeah see this this whole idea really paints humans in a very bad light uh, it really paints us in the light of Well, if anybody actually interacts with any of these replicants, I mean, the entire first Blade Runner is all built on the the idea that it's really hard to tell the difference between these two things, between a human and a replicant, that they're just as human, maybe a little bit stronger, a little bit faster, can heal a little bit better or whatever. But you have a specific guy whose whole job is to figure out who is a replicant and who isn't. So to, to, to be standing in a whole room full of replicants and be like feeling like you're in a room with a whole bunch of humans and you're emotionally connecting with them and whatnot... And then to say that that person is going to go, oh, once he finds out that they're replicants, they go, oh, ah, well, kill him, who cares? I just don't see that happening. I mean, it's fun, kind of a premise for a story, but it doesn't, it doesn't strike me as a very realistic thing. Uh, what, what, what were your main beefs about the, the stakes in this? Well, it's just that they're, they're so ambiguous 
it, you know, because we don't discover the resistance um, replicants like the rebel fighters until near the end when he is left for dead in Las Vegas, and then they recover yeah, him. Yeah, they, they don't even do anything. Yeah, they don't do anything, and then we don't really know who they are, what they are, or what what they're all about. But apparently, they were part of the um, you know human versus replicant battles because they were the series eight replicants that could, I guess, develop the uh, free will to choose to you know not comply with orders. Right? They could go AWOL, and they wanted to have that autonomy, and so they fought for it. But I needed more of that overarching or over overarching um, narrative to hold this movie together because without that the stakes seem much smaller and I I know that they were trying to make them seem bigger but they didn't explain it well enough and I know it's almost a three-hour movie as is but it really needed that because there was plenty of brooding and pacing uh, issues that you know for the stylistic uh, effect I'm sure they wanted, but I mean, there was there was more story to be told in the time they had. Absolutely. I 100% agree, and it's one of my main gripes about this movie. I've got two main gripes, but follow up on your point, is because what does the protagonist actually accomplish in this movie? He sets up a family reunion. That's his big accomplishment. He finds the daughter to Deckard, and he gets the two together. And it, it, the cost of that is a whole bunch of people died. He killed a bunch of people. It doesn't seem like that would redeem my my slave hunter, although there are issues about whether or not you know he is voluntarily doing this or not. But, yeah, uh, you don't know the stakes, the overarching stakes. You, you see little glimpses of it, and you get an idea that, well, yeah, okay, there's a war coming, but... Okay, what is what are the what are the replicants' goals? What is their idea? Do they just want to get off world? Do they want to take down the humans? I mean, are there huge stakes at risk here? Is the idea that there's a a baby and that they can reproduce? I mean, that's been known by these replicants for thirty years. So what what you know what what are they waiting for? Oh yeah, that's a good are point. They... Yeah, the ones in the resistance, the ones who did the conspiracy of shredding the records and, and initiating the blackout, right, to scramble the records. They knew about it. Yeah. So what, what, what do the actions of the protagonist have anything to do with that? Nothing. He doesn't affect the, the overarching big, you know, deal plot at all. I mean, but here's, I mean, we got more to say about this, but I just want to ask you, speaking of the plot, did it work for you because it didn't necessarily work for me? Because the entire plot of this movie is Jared Leto has this, you know, planet spanning corporation that goes to like, what, nine planets? And he's got, you know, slave colonies and whatnots and mines and things like that. And he can, like, grow replicants that are essentially human beings, but better human beings. But he doesn't have the technology to make it so that they can reproduce because he wants to grow them. He wants them to give birth so that he can just multiply them that way. And then their entire stream of the movie is he's got this, um, you know, lackey chick, killer robot girl. I, I, I saw her as Katinka from Zoolander. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. <laughs> So she's hunting for this kid to be able to dissect it and find out the secrets of how it was born and that sort of thing. Are you telling me that this technology doesn't exist and he couldn't figure it out? He can figure out all these other things, but he can't figure out that? Did that work for you? Because that, that bugged me. Uh, no, that didn't work for me, but now it doesn't work even worse because if the resistance is fighting the humans and there's this underground and they know about replicants being born of replicants, wouldn't it be more plausible that this Neander Wallace guy would just hook up with those dudes and be like, hey, I want to be able to, you know, birth replicants. Yeah, it seems like they have their the same goals for the most part. All right. So yeah. 
before you get into your other one, here's here's another big thing that really bothered me, and that was when they dig up the bones of Rachel from the 1982 version. She had died during childbirth because she wasn't able to, to actually give birth. It was the cesarean. Why, oh why, when looking at the scalpel marks on the bone, does K enhance, enhance, enhance in this perfect exact <laughs> spot where the serial number is showing up in the crack in the bone, like like a thousand times magnified? Are well, you is that, fucking I kidding know. me? But isn't that what happens in the original Blade Runner? Yeah, he's like looking at a photograph and like there's a reflection in this corner and he discovers it's the snake charmer girl. Right. But at least at least he was he knew to be looking for something. Kay in this movie, he's just looking at this bone and he's just like, huh, yeah, yeah, looking around, looking around. Oh, just happened to look at this one. And then why would you put a serial number on a little crack in a pelvic bone? Super, 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 super tiny. I don't know. Is that the standard place to to imprint a... I don't know. Yeah, I, I mean, know, maybe, maybe it was like one of those like um, winks and nods to the fans. Like, oh, you know, we know in the original, like he does this ridiculous enhance, enhance, enhance and finally sees the thing he's looking for. So we're going to do that again. But, you know, totally impossibly. <laughs> yeah. OK, you got anything else or do you want me to move on to my big next big gripe? Uh, you know, I, I've got a bunch of stuff I could talk about, but we've only got another 15 or so minutes, maybe 20 minutes of show time to go over stuff. So let's hit your big gripes and then we'll get into some of the other stuff. And we're sort of eschewing uh, categories here because we just have random, random questions for each other on this episode of The Last Nighters. Sorry, folks. Yeah. OK, so my, my next big gripe is Jared Leto and his motivation. Uh, and his justification of his ideas. Um, like we talked about, he just wants this ability to grow these beings organically. But his justification of essentially owning slaves and creating slaves and recognizing that these people have self-ownership, they have sentience, because he out and out calls it slavery. He doesn't call it like property owning, like constructions or robots or anything like that. So his, his justification for it, he says, every leap in civilization was built on the back of a disposable workforce. I could see like an ANCOM making that argument, but no other like rational, like a real, like, like intelligent person that knows anything about history would make that argument. Um, the Industrial Revolution wasn't built on slavery, wasn't built on slave labor. The space race, the information age, these things were not built on a disposable workforce. I mean, I know, I know ANCOMs call it wage slavery. Capitalism is wage slavery and all that kind of crap, but nobody takes those people seriously. So usually when you have an antagonist to a protagonist, the antagonist needs to have a legitimate gripe, kind of like we do about this movie. He needs to have a legitimate gripe, but then his solution is a very extreme crank it up to 11 solution that nobody really is on board with. Like, you know, commies are all dumb and stupid. And then so the villain would be like, so let's kill them all. And everybody's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. And then, you know, the, the protagonist would be like, no, no, no. You know, you know, just start slaughtering people because people have some dumb ideas. But in this movie, I, I just don't see his, his gripe. I don't see his motivation. It didn't, you know, like we said, I don't, I don't, I don't buy that he doesn't have the technology to have them give birth to each other. If he can create a fully functional human being, but he can't, he hasn't mastered the plumbing for reproduction. What? I just, what? What? I don't get it. Well, yeah. And, and he actually does artificially birth. A, a woman and then kills her because who knows why um i guess because of his outlook of, of her being just a disposable thing but he he does have the ability to create them or quote unquote manufacture them but he says it's not fast enough so he wants them to be able to procreate on their own because i guess they would then create more exponentially like rabbits or something like that um 
So I guess his quest was to have a large enough workforce to continue to just expand. So it was this uh, fallacious, you know, must grow uh, and and ravage, essentially. Uh, oh, he's an evil capitalist. Okay. Right, right, right. But you know, the, totally like strawmanning it um, sure. in, into the imperialist st- side of things. Um, so I can read a lot of different things into this. There is in one of those interlude type movies mention of Wallace bought the. Uh, the, rem- the remains of the Tyrell Corporation, and he had, through a combination of technology and a series of patents and other things, um, solved the world food crisis. And so he thought that he was due some respect uh, for basically saving the world, right, because everyone was starving until he came along with his technology. And I don't know if, if maybe that was in some of that was in the main part of the movie. Um, does this sound familiar to you at all? Because it is a talking point I wanted to cover because... Sure, he's advancing technology, but then the patents are actually there thwarting uh, benefit to consumers. Yeah, just in the in the original crawl, the opening crawl, it says the collapse of ecosystems in the mid-2020s led to the rise of industrialist Neander Wallace, whose mastery of synthetic farming adverted famine. And then he, yeah, he acquired the remains of the Tyrell Corporation and then created the new line of replicants who obey. Okay, yeah, so there's a little bit more more in the um, interlude-type movies, but uh, he does seem to have this um, salvation godlike complex where he saved the world through his technology and patents, so collusion with government, um, and then he also can create lifelike beings, the replicants, who obey, so the good good slaves, I guess, um, and he calls them his angels, but then he also wants to actually have them to be able to biologically create life. So I think that that maybe ties into his um, his vision of himself of being a godlike being, and so but, he but wants to. But it doesn't make any sense, Daniel. Well, it doesn't certainly make any it doesn't sense. make if sense. If he's if he's a control freak and he wants to control these these obey, you know, he has these replicants that obey him, and he wants them to obey all the time. Well, if you're gonna have, I mean, if you're gonna have, I guess I don't exactly know how replicants work, but generally speaking, in evolution. You take the DNA of the father and the mother, you mix them together, and you get the DNA of the child. Well, you're going to have mutations and you're going to have variation in the child. So how can you, how can you, you know, maintain quality control where all these mutant, you know, children, evol- evolved species of creature, maintain that obey chip or whatever? I don't know. It just, yeah, d- it just, don't ask questions. Just don't ask. Okay. All right. All right. All right. <laughs> no, I'm it, probably it, thinking way too much into it. Yeah, you're thinking way too much into it. It doesn't fit into the script or the, the universe as presented. Um, so I, I know we don't have a whole lot of time left. I think that this is a good candidate for our potential new show, which will be us having um, long-form conversation with guests in a YouTube-style live stream format. And uh, we already have a few people in mind who would like to come on and talk about this. So we'll give more details about that when we get them sorted out, and we will put them on the show notes page, which can be found at lastnighters.com slash eight for this episode. Yeah, looking forward to that. That'll be fun. Um, real quick before we wrap it up, um, I did have tears jerked for the hologram girl. I thought she was really well done, and her, you know, whole Pinocchio feelings were excellent. We were really well done. I, I cared more about her than any other character in the movie. And uh, I had a little bit of tears jerked when uh, Rachel, Return of Rachel, came back for Deckard. Um, that was a good moment. But otherwise, not a whole lot of emotion in this movie. I'd say it's around like a, a three or a four. <laughs> Yeah, pretty low for me as well. Maybe maybe a little higher, maybe a four or a five. I did like the, um, and we haven't even talked about this, this is the main like 
twist, right, where Kay begins to believe that he is, in fact, the child because he has the memory. But they, they telegraph it uh, when he meets the, you know, who the actual child is, the dream maker, when she yeah. says, you know, it is a real dream. But it and she starts not, crying. Yeah, but it yeah. might not be yeah. yours. You know, she doesn't say that, but she says it um, with, with the scene. And so it's like it, 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 it blows the, the twist right there. And I, I know that they had to be delicate with that, and I know they were trying to be subtle, but it just seemed so uh, ham-handed um, in that area that it was just so obvious that it, it's not him. Um, right. Uh, I agree with you. Um, it seemed to me like as soon as she starts crying, he's going to understand that and go, oh, well, it's you then. But he doesn't. He continues to believe it's him for another hour. Right. And then he goes and looks for his dad, who shoots him yeah. before he can ask any questions, which seems a little weird. <laughs> Yep. And then he also, he also, uh, Gosling, he like punches the orphanage owner or he threatens the orphanage owner, you know, sticks a gun in his face. Yep. Yep. Because he's an evil orphanage guy taking care of kids is evil, I guess. I mean, he had some nasty rhetoric. Well, he, and he also had them working, right? I mean, child labor, I guess. Is this, is this the whole child labor law, evil person, lefty narrative here at stake? I don't know. Yeah. And you know, there's a lot kind of, there's nobody else taking care of these kids. (laughs) I mean, hello. Yeah. And what are all those kids doing down in the San Diego junkyard anyway? Indeed. But anyway, I mean, there, there's so many little, like, things that get thrown into this movie, it feels like. And I have a hard time with this because um, people that are fans of, of our show were telling us, oh, man, Blade Runner, great movie, Blade Runner 2049, you got to do it. It's, like, so good. It's one of my favorite movies. And so I have, again, this high expectation going into it, and all I can do is just see the flaws, and I, I feel like that maybe is a problem. Like, I need to know nothing <laughs> about the movie going in because uh, if if i have these high expectations and they just get dashed on the rocks man yeah um you know i can see I, with this movie i can kind of divide the two unfortunately i don't think it's a good movie although i might be a little bit north of five on my review score but just the overall craft is so high that i can almost forgive a lot of these gripes that we're having and just kind of turn off my brain and enjoy it but yeah i mean having talked about it with you it's easy it's harder to do it really is yeah, and I that wanted to like it. I really do. And I, I like the mood and the ambiance and the craft. I mean, it is all, you know, A-list, A-list stuff there, all of that. But yep. I think that they missed the um, the simple elements, you know, just the story. Like, what are you trying to tell tell me? What are the stakes? And what actually happens to get you anywhere? Because like you said, it's just a family reunion at the end, and then it's a blank screen, you know, and Kay dies in the snow on the steps from his... Uh, several wounds and he should have died many many times before (laughs) yeah uh if you're telling a story i mean it's okay to tell a story about a hero you know in a larger world but if you're gonna include this rebellion stuff have your protagonist at least affect it or at least understand it or have some sort of you know the the audience understands how he plays a part in the larger story because we don't all we know is that there's this resistance and they're maybe going to be doing something, but we don't know why. Or they, we know why they're upset about whatever, but they've just been waiting around for 30 years, 30 years. We don't know when they're going to do anything. We don't know what they're planning. We don't know what, you know, any any of that stuff. All we get, like we, you said, is is a family reunion story. And, uh, yeah, I don't know if it's enough for me. All right, I have one more gripe, and I wanted to, to bring this up. Um, Joy has she's an artificial intelligent like companion and he's a replicant programmed to obey who apparently needs companionship and he has longing and so he has this uh hologram girlfriend who's not real and they both want to be real for each other or have something real uh so it's a little bit bizarre but and she is great i i think that she does a, a very fine job but here's the thing that really bothers me k just failed his test 
and gets told by his lieutenant, I'm going to be able to get you out of here alive, but in 48 hours, you know, you're going to have to disappear. So what's he do? He goes home and he has weird her style sex with this prostitute who's merged with the hologram. Like he's just been told, hey, you got to get the hell out of Dodge. But, so, you know. So take your time and have some fun. and Yeah. And and you've you've seen the movie Her, right, with Joaquin Phoenix and uh, the voice of Scarlett Johansson? I haven't seen it, but I'm kind of familiar with the the, the, the concept. All right, well, there is a um, it's basically a love story where he falls in love with his virtual assistant computer type, who is just a voice. And one of the things they try to do is have a a physical intimate relationship by inviting a prostitute in to act as a surrogate body for the operating system, the Scarlett Johan- Johansson. So she's doing the talking while the prostitute's doing the physicality, and Joaquin Phoenix, you know, like freaks out and doesn't want to do it. They redo that in this movie, but it actually, you know, happens, and it just seemed like, all right, I've seen this before. It's it's weird and awkward, and why is he not like getting out of town? But anyway, that was just another yeah. Thing. It seemed like the priorities weren't exactly straight there. I mean, maybe, maybe as I'm older, my priorities are different than they would have been <laughs> at a younger <laughs> age. I don't know. Well, yeah, and, you know, a lot of this movie isn't very clear. Like, okay, so he's got 48 hours to get out of town. Does that mean he's safe? He has to get away from the LAPD, and then he can just live for free? Live, you know, free, a free life? So why didn't he do that before? Or was he voluntarily choosing to be a slave hunter? These are just questions left up to endless speculation, and I, I kind of I kinda wanted, uh, like you said, more stakes, more understanding of the world, more, what what's going on here? What I need some clear, you know, consequences to his actions and him making bold choices, you know, like like protagonists usually do. All right. Well, I think we're at that point where we need to do our final summary and review. So I'll pass it over to you. Just uh, toss it out there, your, your 4.5 or whatever it's going to be. All right. Well, not to, you know, there are positive things in this movie, um, like we said. And he does make some bold choices. I mean, after his girlfriend is killed, he does chase after the Harrison Ford character and rescue him at the, you know, expense of his life, you know, putting his own life in danger and that sort of thing. So he does make some heroic sacrifices and that stuff. I mean, the movie isn't completely in the wrong. Um, so, yeah, I, I'm going to go with like a 5.5. I think it's just slightly above a mediocre movie. Um, if you're just judging it on craft and you, you want to turn your brain off. Although, but, you know, slow plotting sci-fi, you're meant to think about it. This isn't a fun, like, jaunty romp action film. This is a slow, you know, deliberate, you know, really ponder what it's trying to say, what it means. What is this movie about? You know, this is what you're supposed to be doing as an audience member. And I think that's where this one stumbles and falls. So for me, yeah, 5.5. I still recommend it. I think you should check it out. But I don't think this is a movie I'm going to go back to a whole bunch of times. All right. Well said. And I tend to agree. I'm glad I saw it. Um, But, yeah, I I don't think that I am going to go back and, uh, you know, sit back and, and enjoy watching it. Unless I'm like in that mood, I guess, you know, like sometimes you just kind of want to have something on that kind of has that like overall ambiance and that music and that feel like the original had the Evangelese music and had that tone kind of set throughout. And it has like this whole atmosphere around it that they attempted to replicate in this one. Um, so I don't know. I, I think it, it is sort of a, a nod to fans. And I think that is why it didn't do so well at the box office, because the fan base just wasn't as wide or as big 
as a lot of the other you know properties out there like the Marvel Universe and Star Wars Universe and other things um, where they couldn't just or even Transformers where they couldn't just put something out and it'll make a billion dollars you know yeah yeah like you like you said yeah exactly like you're saying um, this is not a movie that was built for a wide audience this is not a movie that was built for to you know do well in the Chinese market you know this is a, it doesn't it's it's a very narrow kind of like we are doing it's a very narrow niche playing to a very specific audience and it's not going to attract a whole bunch of other eyeballs yeah and so i applaud them in their effort certainly the craft is very high um, but i think they fell down at the story and that is a big area to fall down when you are doing such a niche movie where you are relying on the craft and you are able to explore those things and and do an almost three-hour movie but missing the story is fatal in that. And so I'm going to go below five on this. I'm going to go with a 4.9 on my Blade Runner 2049. You're not wrong. Sorry, Blade Runner. Sorry, fans of Blade Runner, but uh, got to be honest with you. Yeah, I think that the the 1982, I have the, um, I think it's the final cut version, not the Harrison Ford uh, voiceover, but the other one where it's just more ambiance and, and brooding. Uh, and I think that's a far superior movie, especially given the t- the context of when it was made. I mean, it still mm-hmm. looks amazing um, uh-huh. compared to anything else from the 80s. You know, everything else <laughs> looks really hokey uh, in comparison. And I know that they were doing it on a, a fairly uh, shoestring budget for the time. So uh, still a decent movie. Um, glad I watched it. Not glad that I, I had it so built up in my head. So uh, sorry, like we said, to fans of Blade Runner and fans of us who recommended this one. But we are more than happy to talk about it on our upcoming show, which I believe is going to be called Boys Night Out. And more information on that will be available down at the show notes page, lastnighters.com slash eight, the number eight. And uh, that's all we have for this episode of the Last Nighters. So I'm going to say good night from last night, hand it over to Robert, and then we'll play our outro music. It's been an honor and a privilege reviewing this movie for you all. Hope you enjoyed our review. Agree or disagree. Thanks for listening. All right, continuing the transmission on the actual Anarchy show. Um, I, I hope that uh, we didn't offend too many people on this one. I know that a lot of people loved this movie, uh, and we have more to talk about it uh, in our Boys Night Out show that's going to be coming out in the next couple of weeks here once we get our ducks sorted and our uh, things all in a row here. But uh, Yeah, I'm, I, looking, I, I'm looking forward to it. I want to get somebody on here that uh, really liked this movie because I, you know, on one level I did really enjoy it, but then, yeah, like you said, on the story, man, it just it just falls down, and it's just a big mess. So what what's going on here? What do people really like about it? I want to know. Other than the stuff I liked about it. Hopefully they liked other things. Yeah, there are things to like. And, and when I was watching this, I was like, oh, this digital companion, Joy. I wonder if that would be a good product for Robert. Ha! <laughs> ha! Gotcha! Oh, wait. Dang! <laughs> anyway. I wouldn't, um, mind, I wouldn't mind having one of those. Seems nice. Someone gosh. cooking you dinner all the time and being nice to you. Getting hookers for you. Hell yeah! Yeah, yeah. It sounds like a dream. Uh, don't tell my wife. <laughs> uh, she listens to the show. But um, only because I played for her. But anyway, um, 
I don't have a whole lot more to say at uh, this particular episode of the Actual Anarchy podcast, and the show notes for this is actualanarchy.com slash 65. And I think we can do a little bit of uh, Kathleen Turner Overdrive, which people can get by becoming Patreon supporters at, I believe, the $5 a month or more level. And you can find out uh, how to do that at patreon.com slash readrothbard. And once we get into the Overdrive, I'm going to ask Robert some questions on his recent viewing of Making a Murderer, the Netflix uh, series, because he just finished watching that. Oh, yeah. So uh, thanks for joining us for this episode of the Actual Anarchy Podcast. Show notes and more, actualanarchy.com slash 65. Good night and good luck. You people are all beautiful. Thanks for listening. Chipmunks. C H I P M U N K. We're the chipmunks. Guaranteed to brighten your day. Do 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 do